0: Welcome to Inside the Rope, the podcast where we speak to the leading minds in wealth management. I'm your host, David Clark, and in this episode, I'm speaking with Lindsay Partridge, the CEO of Brickworks, a company that he's been the leader of and CEO since 2000. Now, it's a little bit unusual for us to speak to a CEO or a specifically listed company However, when you dig into Brickworks, you discover a business that has its start around the Great Depression. In fact, uh, it was started to help protect Australia's supply of bricks during the Great Depression. When you look at it today, however, you find a business that generates the majority of its revenue from a listed investment company being Sol Patterson's and also a diversified real estate business that they've built in joint venture with Goodman. I hope you enjoy this podcast, I certainly did. Please don't forget to send me through your feedback. You can email me at david.clark at codacapital.com. And remember to listen to the disclaimer at the end of the podcast. This is not designed to be specific advice, nor is it an investment recommendation or advice we encourage everyone to receive their own advice before making any investment i hope you enjoy the podcast enjoy lindsay welcome to inside the road thank you david it's great to be here lindsay perhaps you could kick off uh for our listeners and give them a bit of background about yourself uh what you do um with brickworks yeah yeah sure
1: uh look i guess we go way back um I always wanted to do something which I saw worthwhile, and I always wanted to make, put it this way, you know, beautiful products that last forever. And there's very few products in the world that fit that category, but bricks is is one of them. So I went off and um, did ceramic engineering at the University of New South Wales, and um, did a cadetship with, uh, which is now a competitor, and, and joined Brickworks 35 years ago, and uh, became um, CEO in '99 and MD in 2000, and they've been running the company for the last 20 years.
0: And what, what are the major changes you've seen in the business over that time? That's a fair stint.
1: Yeah, well, back in 99, we were five brickworks in two states, and we had an investment in Washington Heights Old Paterson, which dated back to the late sixties when we were worried about being taken over by London Brick. Um, and of course we actually, it's known it was a share swap, which at the time was legal. And it exists today and it's it's legal to exist, although it wouldn't be legal to do it. Um, But the thing about building products companies is, you know, they're very volatile. There's always some tough time and companies that don't have some serious financial backing, you know, they tend to get in a lot of trouble and, um, you know, they're not very stable and they they can't invest in the future. So what this has given us is stability. And um, it's allowed us to really move forward and often invest in tough times when, our competitors haven't been able to so the company's come a long way uh, since then and um, you know we're really very proud of what's been achieved
0: so today looking at the business of Brickworks uh, for sort of if you think about in terms of every dollar invested what is your exposure or what is your underlying investment into
1: yeah well if if you look at it today and what's been achieved in the last 20 years you know that original twenty six million dollar investment we made in Sales in 1968 is now worth just shy of two billion um, our brick business is worth um, you know in the circuit of a billion dollars and, uh, and other building products which includes both here in the united states and um, our property trust which we kicked off with goodman um, well that's been a joint venture made in heaven they're great partners we kicked that off in 2008 that's um just sort of sailed past two billion in total um our share of that's a bit over 700 million um, So when you look at it, we're actually 75% investments and 25% building products. Uh, And that particularly is is important when it comes to the dividend. Uh, A dividend was increased and paid at 20 cents a couple of months ago. Um, We've paid it or increased it every year um, since 2000, which makes us one of only eight companies on the ASX. But in reality, we only ever reduced it once since we listed it in 1962, which is when the Australian market opened. That was in 1975, and um, your you know, older listeners will know what was going on in 1975 it was pretty rough. But you know, it's a shame we did reduce the dividend; otherwise, we never would have reduced the dividend in the time we've been listed, you
0: know, close on uh, you know over 60 years. And you would have had uh, bragging rights on that that line. Yeah. Yeah. So, Lindsay, firstly, talking about I guess what the name is associated with the brickwork bricksworks and the business uh, of bricks and construction materials um, how is that business traveling and what is the outlook for or your outlook and the business's outlook for the Australian uh, property market and construction market and what are some of the challenges obviously COVID-19 people have questions around but I think if you could address that for listeners it would be helpful
1: yes well, well looking at Australia and the United States separately. Um, They are out of phase. I mean, we're very lucky here in Australia with very low numbers and let's hope it stays under control. Uh, But it you know, there's a long pipeline in housing, you know, we have a long pipeline in immigration, a long pipeline, which could be six to twelve months. So while there was definitely a period of time through March, April, May, when potential customers couldn't get to talk to their builders, and there was you know, no doubt a pothole of work that was created which would impact on us in the second half of the year. The, the stimulus that the government has put out, uh, I would say in early reports, are saying that, that the numbers are very, very strong at the builders, sales officers now, and there's a good chance for detached housing, uh, we, will, we will, will fill that pothole. Uh, some builders even reporting that the numbers are even greater than what they were before the virus hit. Uh, I don't think it'll have much impact in Sydney though, because of the value of houses in Sydney and what people earn. It won't impact so much, but outside of Sydney and across the rest of the country, yes, it will have an impact. I feel that apartment building is going to be very tough. A lot of the people who lost their jobs were part-time workers who worked in hospitality, and a lot of them have gone home, and those apartments are empty. So there's not a big incentive for investors to come in, and the way that apartments are funded makes it very hard for people to get the pre-sales up to get the apartment away. So I think, that, and we've had a massive boom, by the way, in apartments. So I think there could be quite for a while in departments um, and of course the government's doing everything it can for infrastructure works and to keep people employed so i think that's positive if we look across at the united states it sort of ran a little bit the other way because you know we, we were closed down in pennsylvania we had five plants closed by the order of the governor and we found ourselves out of business and over the following weeks you know gradually we opened the sales offices and um, eventually we were allowed to restart the factories but we took the opportunity he said well look, we're going to do this restructuring it was planned you know we're going to move our products out of some very old plants we'd bought into some newer plants we'd bought and we just accelerated that and did it in two weeks instead of sort of six months um, now it, mean, it did mean we had to let a lot of people go but that rationalization was really needed to happen um, the american industry had been in sort of a bit of a time warp since 2008 and they needed to be moved along a bit. So that's allowed us to consolidate the three companies put together in the Northeast of the U S you know, we're in a very, very strong position. We're clearly the market leader in that area. We're four times the size of the next um, company behind us. We do a lot of institutional work. We do schools. we have 10 schools on the moment. At the moment there's a million bricks in a school, we're doing hospitals, we're doing police stations, you know, um, we do these big chains where they've got 3000 stores in a, in a, in, in a particular chain, and we do them all over the country, but uh, you know we have more than 50% market share in New York. Um, half of our work there is restoration. A great example of what that means is, in 1934, we su- supplied out of our Hanley plant, Pennsylvania, the bricks for the Chrysler Building, mm-hmm. and here we are in 2020 doing the renovation of it from the Hanley plant. Now that that is just wonderful. That is almost. Um, like a legacy we've got there, and, and that will continue to go on as those buildings are inspected and have to undertake repair. So our business over there is very good, it's architecture-based. We get very high prices for our product. Um, that work will continue on, and as, as the, the various counties, decided county by county, as the counties open up, then we, we can get underway, um, and we're seeing our sales pick up and return. So I think we're well and truly through the worst in the U.S. I can't say what might happen if the cases keep escalating. I mean, what's the outcome there? I don't think anybody knows. But at the moment, work's continuing. Um, Everyone wants to get back to work. The the, uh, interest rates are low. One of the top builders, Lamar Homes, is number two, is a very good customer of ours on the East Coast. They build something like 60,000 homes a year and they've just reported that their their earnings or their starts for this year will be 3% up on last year. So they've just come straight through the through it without really missing a beat. So that's really positive news. The trends we're seeing um, here and there, they're amazingly the same. People are leaving the city, going to regional areas. Uh, I guess they feel a bit safer out of the cities. Um, We've seen also a resurgence in large houses in the US, multi-million dollar houses. People are coming and doing selections. We're getting the same sort of interest here. So people, I think, look at their house as their castle and are going to invest more going forward. So I'd be positive for
0: the detached housing going forward, both here and in the US. I think you gave everyone a bit of a shiver who has ever renovated a house or had to get matching bricks after a long period of time. So I, uh, I hope on that job that you're talking about with the longevity of that client, uh, you are able to match those bricks for them. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, how many people, Lindsay, did you have in the US? Um, you talk about the, the the Pennsylvania plant, et cetera. How many people, oh, look, in the U.S., we, we peaked at a total of about
1: 900. We're sitting at about 770 now. Mm. And, but they'd been running a lot of plants, you know, nine months of the year shutting from winter and then only running them at 70 or 80% capacity. You can't do that. It's too, the business is too competitive, you know. So, and some of these plants were 40 and 50 years old. But So, you know, we moved that production across to some newer plants. They'll run, um, you know, right through winter. They'll run at full speed. You know, they're automated. Um it's a real sort of step change we've achieved. what we've achieved in 18 months. And, of course, the whole business model over there is based on us getting our costs down. We don't need to get our selling prices up more. We don't need to sell any more product. We just need to get our costs down. And that's um, something that we're very, very experienced at. The only thing that's holding us up, of course, is most of our engineering team are sitting here in Australia and, and can't go there to do their jobs. So those jobs are held up, but that's maybe not a bad thing. It's saving a bit of cash. Um, that we've got these capital projects held up. Matter of fact, at the moment, we can't even, we're trying to get to Perth, we can't get to Perth from Melbourne, we can't get to um, South Australia, so we've got two jobs held up in those states, we can't put our staff into to, to complete them.
0: Or well, maybe Clive Palmer's case might be able to help you guys open up some of that Perth travel, perhaps. Um, Lindsay, what technology changes are you seeing in your industry? I, I recall a good mate of mine who did uh, building or similar at Sydney uni telling me one day over a beer that um, you know a house brick is uh, the size it is and the dimension it is because it fits into somebody's hand to be able to lay it. Um, You know we have seen or people talking about um, you know some sort of robotics to be able to lay bricks or otherwise but are you seeing any uh, technological change that is affecting your business to any degree at this point?
1: yeah well there's two sides to that that is you know on the installation side and yep. that's on the manufacturing side well yeah. you know we're most probably into our uh, you know fourth or fifth generation of brick plants and the latest version we've got under construction here in in sydney um using new equipment new machines it'll be twice as productive as the last one and um you know we're talking how many million bricks we make per man per year <laughs> you know so they're um they're really uh, amazing pieces of all high-tech, advanced manufacturing that most people are stunned when, when they see them. Um, and, you know, very efficient and there's no pollution and, you know, etc. no one touches a brick, um, et cetera. So they're, and they're, they're good places to work. Um, on the other side of it, there's been a lot of attempts over the years, but one of the great things about bricks is, you know, you, you can take this piece that you can carry somewhere in by hand if you like, and then you can build quite a complex shape. And the number of shapes and things that you can build in a building are completely unlimited and people are still creating and architects are still creating different ways to use them. And so that's one of the things about it, because then when you've got the product that never loses its color, you know, you can put it in a building for 200 years and then knock it down and recycle or or reuse it, you know, and that's, that's what I love about why I got involved. But there's, there's ways that people are looking at at, um, um, advancing the installation and, um, yeah, we we've, we've seen about the robotics and that's, that's got a bit to way way to go yet. Um, and it only can do simple things at the moment. We've seen a lot of uh, thin bricks, as we call them, or veneers that are put into precast panels and then you just crane the precast panels up. I, I, that is growing quite dramatically in the US and it's growing here as well. And allowing us to get bricks into much higher and higher and higher buildings. We're, we're working on a project in, at the moment, lower Manhattan, which is 86 storeys brick, brick the whole way. And so that's that's really really exciting stuff. And those of you who are around Sydney to look around, you'll see we've got three or four buildings that have gone up in the last year or two in in brick. We've got another half a dozen under construction at the moment. Um, you know, high rise, and we haven't seen brick in this market for 30, 40 years. And it's I think it's going to continue because aluminium cladding's dead. There wouldn't be wouldn't be one job with aluminium cladding on on any drawing board, most probably in Australia and possibly worldwide. That doesn't give you many options after that. And, and people like the heritage look and the, and the human sort of perspective of the size of a brick.
0: Well, if we could change speeds a little bit and talk about the one of the other divisions or part of your business and maybe talk about, you referred to Soles, um, maybe you could elaborate for many of our listeners aren't familiar with soul Pattersons and your investment in that. Maybe you could talk about what that business is, what it does, um, and what it looks and feels like and what are some of the attributes about it, if you could please.
1: Certainly. Well, Washington H. Sol Patterson is the second oldest company listed on the stock exchange. And don't ask me to tell you exactly years, but I think it was about 130. Uh, of course, they are originally the pharmacists, everyone knew the Sol Pats pharmacies, they are everywhere. And in the 60s, they started getting involved in investments and building up share portfolios in mining, etc. They did the cross shareholding in the late 60s, they got them into building products. Um, they got into coal in the 80s and 90s and so into mining. And then um, they had a TV station at, uh, at Newcastle called NBN3, and they had to upgrade the, all the towers up the north coast of New South Wales to, um, to take the upgraded TV. And they said, well, you know, for a few dollars more, uh, I think it was $40 million, we can, we can carry uh, telecommunications. So they started, started that up and were doing telecommunication. That was called SP Telemedia. Uh, that involved, and eventually it, did, it was almost like a reverse takeover. They folded it into, into TPG. And, of course, CPG, I think the the shares listed at 20 cents went down to 12, but, of course, they peaked at $12. So, souls is really an investment house. It's a miniature Berkshire Hathaway. Besides those things I mentioned, it's involved in manufacturing and pharmaceuticals. It's also got its own um, investment portfolios. It's got its own property. So, very diverse, um, unaligned thematics is is the way we look at it. and so one area might be, be down, but that doesn't necessarily impact on, on another. But their performance uh, in the last, say, 20 years has been about 13% per annum compound. Brickworks is pretty close, but a little bit behind. But there was a period when people were agitating us that we should get out of that investment. Mm-hmm. And we just used to say, well, it's performed a 20% compound for 20 years. Where do you think we should put the money when we you know, sell out? And of course, there was never any answer. and No one's ever been able to tell me a company that's performed as well over such a long period of time. Um, so they're very, very consistent, and they've been a great partner and great supporter of Brickworks. And because of that investment, as I said before, when the market's down, it's the best time for us to build new facilities. And because we've got that backing, we we're able to. We wouldn't be able to otherwise.
0: Um, so it's been very good. So it gives you a little bit of ballast that many other uh, cyclical cool building supplies companies don't have and have
1: and you're seeing that you know affecting them at the moment Um, and you look at us uh, investment bank was showing the P's today we're trading at something over 13 A lot of the other companies
0: are trading at P's at 7's and 8's so all of a sudden being uh, or having part of your uh, capital base in a listed investment company makes sense but perhaps you could talk about um, the final piece there that you referenced, being um, I guess you said the 700 million dollar uh, property trust, the joint venture with Goodman. Maybe you can talk about that a little bit, what it looks and feels like, and what some of the attributes are. Please, Lindsay.
1: Well, we're very lucky in in Australia. Uh, you know, people might not realise, but the brick business is actually um, a bit of a property play. And you know you build the brickworks, and in then a city, and eventually the city build, grows out, and then you, then you run out of clay, and you need to move out 30 40 forty kilometres, and you do the next iteration. But well, we're sort of on the sort of like third iteration. If you know Sydney anywhere, or even Melbourne, or yeah. you see there's all these old brickworks around. Well, most of them were ours. Um, take so, the big pit at Eastwood, for instance, those type yeah, of things. Yeah, that was ours, yeah. We had 11 of those around Sydney. But, but anyway, so they, they bought in the 60s, you know, quite a few thousand acres here at Horsey Park, and we had a 1,000 acres at Rochdale in Queensland, and we picked up Newbick, which had a couple, it's got a couple of thousand acres at Craigieburn in, in Melbourne and so on and so forth. Um, and in most of those cases, the government very kindly built a freeway through the middle of them. So they've got greatly connected. And the one out west of Sydney is right near the biggest intersection in Australia, the M- M- M4, M7. So great location for, for distribution. And we looked at the land and I looked historically what the company had done and that was sell it. And the shareholders get a sugar hit and that's it. It's all gone. You get a special dividend and it's all gone. You know, there's no future position. We worked out while well, there might never be a future position if that was to become residential industrial there was a future position and i looked at what goodman was doing in the model and, and others and and we have we did a lot of discussions and we decided to joint venture with with goodman and and so they so we put up the land they come in and put the infrastructure in then they go find a tenant and uh, we signed a long-term agrees uh, at least we then build the, we borrow the money to build the building um and then we and the, and the tenant could be like a woolworths or a coles or a dhl um, or a Johnson Johnson or a Kimberley and Clark. Um, and, and so we build that, they move in, they pay the rent. The rent goes up every year because it's inflated and, and we revalue because the rent's gone up. Um, and so we've got this portfolio. And then all of a sudden you can hit a purple patch where the, um, the capitalization rates is compressed. And of course the value of the assets go up. I've Just been through one of those and I'd say we're most probably at the end of it. But of course the, the property becomes much more, more valuable and you know, while initially we tried to keep the gearing under 55, I mean our gearing at the moment is like 30%, or it's under 30. So we're very lowly geared. Um, so anyhow, we we built this up, and there's an area out there called Oakdale, and we did Oakdale Central, then we did Oakdale South. We're currently developing Oakdale West, and we've announced we've got coals going in there. And and we're doing it on Oakdale East. We have a plant, and we're building another masonry plant. So we're developing both Oakdale East and West simultaneously at the moment. Um, so, and we've done one up in, in Queensland as well. So, as I said, that's worth about two billion dollars. And and our share of that's about 730 million or something in that order. But what's really happened interesting is that this has become the window to the new economy. And so if you looked at how what warehouses were like for the last 40 years, everyone sell oh, cross-stockings the way, you know, semi-trailer in this side, they do this stuff in the warehouse, semi-trailer out that side. Well, today a modern warehouse. Isn't single story. You know, these are uh, thirty metres high. They're ten stories high, and they might have numerous levels. There's two different sort of systems in there, and semi-trailers come in one side. On the other side, they might have triple decks, and and delivery vans are going out. And they're going out to the householder. So it's a completely different model. But the value of that, if you think of a building ten football fields in size, we're talking city block, ten stories high, mm-hmm. massive, massive, valuable buildings. Um, and that is trend is going to continue because I'd be pretty confident to say that click and collect and uh, ordering online is, is here to stay. And the, and the COVID virus has driven us more in that direction and introduced a lot of people to that way of shopping that wouldn't have wouldn't have otherwise done it previously. So we're really excited about that, and um, I think there's some great opportunities coming along, and and uh, and you know just watch this space, as I can say.
0: Lindsay. What are the key lessons that you've learnt um, as being CEO of an ASX listed business and perhaps in more recent times, what are the main challenges that you've had to manage um, and, and what's held you in good stead through that period, perhaps you could uh, talk to our listeners about?
1: Well, it always helps if your profit goes up hmm. and <laughs> you don't have any big unannounced losses or you know uh, catastrophes. So you've got to be across your game. You've got to, you know, people say about micromanagement, but you've got to know what's going on and you've got to know your business. I mean, really know your business. And um, you now this was my career in this industry, um, the main part of it. And, and so I know the business uh, and that didn't happen in five minutes. But, but having said that, there's, we often measure the, you know, potential managers coming through and who's going to to go well. And one of the things we look at is how agile they are. And the reason is, is that when you get very senior in a company, the problems you get are the problems that nobody else could sort out. And it's almost guaranteed you've never seen before and you've got to come up with a solution. So you've got to be very agile and flexible and work out a way how you're going to fix that problem. And you've got to fix your problems. You can't let your problems build up. When you, when you get too many problems on the table, that they, they, they don't get handled. And then the organization goes goes into a crisis mode. And we've seen that happen a lot. You've got to keep cleaning up your messes, cleaning up your problems, doing the biggest problem first and getting it out of the way. But then you've got a chance of focusing on the areas that make you money. Um, so, and you've got to have it, you've got to be sort of a bit creative. That agility is creative. How? okay, what am I going to do now? How am I going to make more money? So you've got to be very creative. And if you're not, you're not going to be able to work out ways to get that extra dollar out of profit out or we'll find that as we did, you know, the profit stream for property came from nowhere. It came from land. We had cows on it. You know, it's two billion billion worth of buildings on it today.
0: So. Yep. And, and I think you're right in that, uh, people needing to be agile. Um, you know, I think not too many people would be around today who would have managed through a pandemic like we've seen, uh, in the last few months across the world, mm-hmm. uh, what have been the key challenges that you've seen managing people through through this period
1: well um yes good question but the first thing i've got to say is that we're ready and waiting for it so we were actually prepared for the bowler and i had biomedical kits at every site in, in the country and and you couldn't get it you couldn't get masks you couldn't get temperature gauge we had it all every place to so go go put out the biomedical kit and by the way we had a couple of pallets of them you know, the big big yellow boxes wow. open immediately we're in, in action we had within hours we had temperature testing at all our sites you know gloves sanitized bed Right. all right so be prepared right yes and the staff immediately said oh wow you know what a great company work for you know we feel so much safer coming to work now knowing that you're doing this and that will most probably go on forever i'd say going forward or for a number of years anyhow but but yeah so that was the first thing and then the second thing was of course you know breaking up the work team so we keep them separated so if one team became infected the other would still be able to take over and getting people from home. We had 400 people working from home. We've got a very strong, strong um, platform we're using, although we're in the middle of upgrading it, a, a very strong platform. So we, were, we had the capacity um, at all of our places to do these Zooms and video links. We had four or five platforms for video, because we automatically video with all of our staff in the US. Mm-hmm. And we have, um, so that all worked well. You know, customers wouldn't know they were talking to somebody sitting at their dining room table in their home and they're on the, on the laptop you know, it's putting the order into our system and all this. Our factories had to run, of course, and people had to come in. There was no other way around that. Um, but we split the shifts, put gaps between them, cleaned up after each shift. And touch wood, to date, we've had no one, no infection uh, on our sites anywhere worldwide, but no infections at all in Australia. We had about half a dozen in the US, but they're all caught before they came to the site. Um, you know, so that's all run run very, very smoothly. And the, and the thing was to be prepared for, have robustness new so that if you have a bit of a, a problem or interruption, you can still work your way through it without being
0: actually stopping the business. Terrific. Lindsay, thank you very much. That's been enlightening. I'm sure our listeners will enjoy that. Thank you very much for joining us in Inside the Rope. My great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Inside the Rope with David Clark. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with David by visiting codacapital.com.